0: Hey, this is Dr. Jim Cox, and this is November the 27th, uh, 2023. We're looking at basic Bible prophecy. We're in chapter 15, looking at, at the where these things take place. We're going to go back and do just a, just a quick overview of what we covered so far. Tonight we're going to move into chapter 16, I think we're gonna be able to cover that, I'm optimistic, and go into chapter 17 as well. And uh, we only have 17, 18, and 19 to go, and I think we're gonna be able to get through those uh, pretty quickly, I think. So, last time we left off, we were in, actually, chapter 15 at the end of it, so let me go there. And, in fact, when we ended looking at Uh, ended our second class last night. second hour we just finished the table on page 181 in the book however before that we had talked about uh, and I'll I'll go back to the beginning of of, uh, chapter 15 Uh, the first thing that he brings up in the chapter here is the centrality of Israel and we talked about that you have a handout that shows the special place that Israel holds in the heart of God he calls Israel his treasured possession. He calls Israel the apple of his eye. He says that Israel is engraven on the palms of his hand. That he will never forget Israel. And we know as we looked in, in Jeremiah 31, starting at verse 35, that in order for Israel to cease as a nation, all the planets and their orbits, the sun, the moon would all have to be wiped out, basically. And that's not going to happen. And so it's another way of saying that Israel's going to survive. And so when we look at what's going on over there with the war, war in the Mideast, we know that God has his hand on Israel and Israel will survive. We also talked about how what we see over there leads to the Gog and Magog War that we see in Ezekiel 38 and 39. And your author's talk, Ron Rhodes talks about that on page 178, and we talked about it and reviewed that again. And of course, we have a, had a handout that re, kind of reviews that and gives an overview. And then we also went through the table on page 177, which looks at major prophetic events for Israel. And I'll read through these very quickly. Israel was prophesied to be reborn as a nation, and that happened May 14th in 1948. And we looked at Ezekiel 37 at the prophecy of the Valley of the Dry Bones. Following Israel's rebirth, Jews, I'm looking on page 177, by the way, on the table. Following Israel's rebirth, Jews were prophesied to stream back to the Holy Land from every nation in the world, and this has been happening yearly since 1948. People say, well, but they're not spiritually alive. They're, they're not, they don't trust God. They're secular. That's what the Bible predicts. They don't have the breath yet, as we see in Ezekiel 37. And then a military coalition of Russia and Muslim nations will invade Israel, and that's the Ezekiel 38 and 39 war. God watches over Israel and he will neither slumber or, nor sleep, Psalm 121.4. No weapon formed against Israel will prosper, Isaiah 54.17. A Jewish remnant will convert to Christ at the end of the tribulation period. And so, in reference there is in Zechariah 12.2-13.1. through 13, 1. And again, we looked at these last time. Israel will experience fulfillment of all covenant promises in Christ's millennial kingdom, and that includes the Abrahamic covenant, the promises there, Davidic covenant, the promise to David that someone from his family would always be on the throne forever, and also the new covenant that God's Spirit will be poured out and God's law will be written on their hearts. That'll all be fulfilled. Also the land covenant, That's given in Deuteronomy, chapters 29 and 30, that they never inherited all the land promised to them. When we talked about the centrality of Israel, we also looked at verses that said, this land is, God says, this land is my land. I'm only giving it to who I want to, but it's my land. He's never given up his possession of the land. And so, we we looked in Joel 3, one of the reasons he gives for wiping out all these nations coming against Israel is they divided up my land. And so he still lays claim to it. And then we looked at uh, the Antichrist will head up a revived Roman Empire. And we spent some time on that last time going through verses in Daniel. And uh, there's a table on page 181 that we went through And I'll just read through the table very quickly, again, as a review. The Revived Roman Empire on page 181. says, the Antichrist will reign over this empire. It will be composed of ten nations. The Antichrist will start out insignificantly, but eventually will gain control over the entire empire. The empire empire will be terrifying and powerful. The empire will be holy in it will not be wholly integrated. And that's where it gets into the ten toes these nations, but it'll be a revived Roman Empire. As far as prophecy is concerned, the Roman Empire really never did go away. That it takes to form these days in terms of the European Union. And so, as we talked about before, and going back to Daniel 9, the Antichrist, at least I believe, comes out of the old Roman Empire. And probably would be some type of European. So that leads us to the next thing, which is, and this is at the bottom of page 181. This is where we left off, by the way, from last time, so we're current here in terms of what we're covering. Is that Rome's ruler, the Antichrist, will sign a covenant with Israel. And so. He cites here, Daniel 9, 24 through 27, and this is the central prophetic scripture that deals with this, and also sets the length of the tribulation. Let's look at it. I'm gonna read it for us. You can just listen or you can follow along uh, in your Bible. Daniel 9, starting at verse 24, 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city, to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Know therefore, and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem, to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks shall be built again with squares and a mold, but in a troubled time. And after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off, and that's referring to Christ, and shall have nothing. And the people the prince who is to come, and the prince to, who is to come, is the Antichrist, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Well, who were those that destroyed the city and the sanctuary? That was Titus, Roman general in 70 AD. So it says this is where the prince to come will come from, from the same people. The people of the Prince who is to come shall destroy the city and sanctuary, its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed, and he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week, remember we're talking about weeks of years here, for seven years, and for half the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering, so right in the middle of the seven years he stops any sacrifice and offering by the Jews. And that's how we know this week he's making a covenant with is referring to the Jews. And at the beginning of it, it talks about uh, that this refers to the, uh, at the very beginning, to your people in the holy city. So we know the context here of who these people are. And then it says, and he shall make a strong covenant with me for one week, and for half the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decree to end is poured out on the desolator. And so we see that he makes desolate means that he desolates the temple itself. We'll talk about that in a moment. Now you have an annotated version of this. It's called the 70 Weeks in one of your handouts. I handed it out earlier on when we covered it. I forgot to write down the number here, but let me look. I can, I can find it, what number it is. Let me look here. Um, it's handout 46. So if you want to go and look at this passage, annotated by me, after each phrase, I tell you what it means. And there's a diagram that shows the 70 weeks. And it predicts to the day when Jesus will go into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, which was March 30th, 33 AD. And also we know from that when Jesus actually dies as well, when he's cut off. And so when Jesus spoke to the, at the end of chapter 39 of Matthew, at the beginning of chapter 24, he says, you should have known the day of your visitation. Why? They could have figured it out from the book of Daniel to the day. And Jesus knew the day prophetically that he would go in on a donkey and declare himself to be the Messiah. I don't know if that doesn't give you some goosebumps or something, knowing that exact day prophesied in the scripture to the day when Jesus went in. And of course he goes in in on a a young donkey, which fulfills Zechariah 9.9, that the king would go in that way. But if you wanna review this passage in more detail, again, we're just doing an overview. It's kind of a review of what we've already covered. Go back to handout 46 and take a look at it. And you'll see in detail how that's laid out there. So, we have the agreement with the Antichrist, and as he points out here, he says this, it's an interesting thought. On page 182, he writes Ron Rhodes, second paragraph. He says, such terminology has led some prophecy scholars to conclude that the peace treaty or covenant would enforce an imposed peace between Israel and any remaining Muslim peoples. The military might of the revived Roman Empire will enforce the covenant. The idea is if you disobey the stipulations of the covenant, you will do so at your own peril. So interesting insight there. I wouldn't, I wouldn't fall my sword over it or anything like that, Uh, you know, it's, uh, it could be very voluntary. You know, there's some that believe that the, that a lot of the secular Jews will mistake the Antichrist for the Messiah. And that's why he's called the Antichrist, the false messiah, the false shepherd. And so it's thought that there'll be the spirit of delusion that, that Jesus talks about, or, excuse me, Paul talks about in Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 2, spirit of delusion. They would, would believe the lie. And so that might be it. Uh, we know that Satan is active. He possesses the Antichrist at the beginning of this period. And he has a cohort coming along aside called the false prophet, which many people think would be an apostate Jew of some sort, which would cause, he causes the peoples of the earth to worship the beast. Well, did you, how would the Jews do that? Well, the Jews might do it if they had an apostate Jew saying, this is the guy. Even though his pedigree would be a Gentile. So again, it's a a spirit of deception that's going on. And also understand that most of the Jews would be secular. They would not know biblically what the qualifications of the Messiah would be. They might take the word though of the sky that can perform miracles. It says in Romans thirteen that this false prophet will call fire down from the sky. And that'll be a confirmation that you need to worship this beast. We'll talk more about that because we gotta get into the image here of the beast here in a second. But the next point he makes here in the book on page one hundred eighty two is that the Jews will rebuild a temple in Jerusalem. How do we know this? Well, we have a number of references to it. For example, in Daniel 9, 27 that we just read, oh, by the way, I wanted to say one more thing. You have a handout that I gave you, number 56, and it's called The Covenant of Death. And a lot of prophecy teachers, including myself, believe that in Isaiah 28, Isaiah is describing a covenant that Israel will make with some false leader, and he calls it a covenant of death. So if you go through that handout, I annotated Isaiah 28, that is, each phrase I tell you what it means after it, and you can go back and review it on your own, Isaiah 28. And so some prophecy teachers referred to this as the covenant of death, why? Because right in the middle of the covenant, and as it talks in Isaiah 28, The Antichrist breaks it. And then he turns his back on the Jews and tries to exterminate them. So they go into an agreement with someone they don't realize is a deceiver. And one that would, under Satan's power, try to create the Holocaust all over again. Why? Satan wants to stop God's plan Satan wants to make sure if he can eliminate the children of Israel, then the kingdom promises cannot be fulfilled. And in his own way, deluded way, Satan thinks that if that can happen, he can keep Christ from sitting on the throne. We know that that's not gonna happen. We know that Jesus will sit on the throne and the Jews are going to be preserved, at least a remnant of Jews will be preserved. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. Go ahead, Margaret, question. Jan, you have a question? The question is: Do angels know everything that's going to happen? Only what we know. They don't have any advanced knowledge except for what God's revealed to them. So Satan. He doesn't know either, except for what's written. So he thinks that he might actually succeed. Yeah. Or at least he can prolong his earthly kingdom as long as possible. Remember, we talked about you have have another handout on Satan. His, I can look it up, but I, I show you where Satan is called the prince of power of the air, second corinthians four four the god of this world in ephesians two two he's called the ruler of this earth in uh, in john fourteen thirty and it says in first john five nineteen it says that that the whole earth is in the power of the evil one in matthew four when He had Jesus on the top of the temple. He said, look at all these kingdoms. All you have to do is worship me and I'll give them to you. Well, that was a bona fide offer. I mean, it would have been a worthless temptation if it wasn't true. So, God in sovereignty has allowed Satan to have rule right now over this earth. But that will change. Christ has already positionally had the victory through the cross. But physically, Satan will be defeated, and we know that at the beginning of the millennium when Christ comes, he'll defeat Satan, and Satan will be stuck in the abyss for a thousand years. And where did the false prophet and the Antichrist go? The lake of fire. And when Satan is thrown in there a thousand years later, after his rebellion, he's let loose, it says the Antichrist and the false prophet are still there. They're not annihilated, folks, as some would think. They're still there after a thousand years in the lake of fire. So what we see next, as he points out here, is that a temple is built. Daniel nine twenty seven and he shall make oh by the way Jan did I answer your question yeah okay good and he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week and for half the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering <coughs> and it's thought there since there's a sacrifice and offering that a temple would have to be in place in Matthew twenty four fifteen <coughs> excuse me. So, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. So Jesus refers back to a prophecy in Daniel and about the abomination of desolation and he says standing in the holy place. Well, the holy place could only be one place and that would be in the temple. So a temple would have to be built. Revelation 11, 1. Then I was given a measuring rod like a staff, and I was told, rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship there. So here we have, of course, this is John speaking, and he sees in Revelation 11 that a temple. In 2 Thessalonians 2, 4, I referred to this a little while ago, this passage, who opposes and exalts himself, talking about, the, the son of lawlessness, that is, the Antichrist, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes a seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. So we have indication in scripture that there's a temple that's going to be built. Now, as you know, the Temple Institute's been building and planning, and the way I understand it, the priests are trained. The, they have all the garments, all the utensils, and I heard one person speak uh, on a, I don't know if it's a video or they're doing an interview, said they they could have up a tent, like the tabernacle, up in just a matter of weeks, and only in, in a matter of months they could actually have the whole temple assembled. They have that much planning in place. Now probably wouldn't look like Solomon's temple, but it would be a temple, and it would be on the Temple Mount. So. We won't get into all the details about why they can build on the Temple Mount, but evidently the Antichrist has enough power. And Remember, at least it's my view, that the armies of Russia and the Muslim nations are destroyed on the mountains of Israel in the invasion of Gog and Magog. That's in Ezekiel 38 and 39. So the Muslim nations would not be a problem. And Russia would not be a problem. And with the consolidation of power by the Antichrist, he would have enough power to be able to say, go ahead and build it now. What happens to the Dome of the Rock? Well maybe it's destroyed during this period. Because in the first half of the, the uh, Tribulation, well, there's a lot that goes on, <laughs> and it's very possible it could be destroyed. Or it's possible that because of his power and the lack of any power of the Muslim nations because of no army, that it could be removed in the temple built in its spot. We don't know for sure, but evidently he has the power to make it happen. But when they get the go-ahead, it can be constructed very rapidly. and. And in fact, it's going to have to be within the three and a half years because we know that sacrifice and offerings are going on because in the middle, he says, stop, cease. And he claims himself to be God. He said, if you're going to worship, you worship me. And of course, by worshiping him, Satan's worship, right? Because he looks to Satan as his God. And he's possessed by Satan. So we finished, technically, chapter 15. He has the big issues here. Excuse me, I just skipped over one last thing. Let me back up here. I thought that was funny that we ended there. On page 183, it says a false religious system will emanate from New Babylon during the first half of the tribulation period. And so, when we look at where this occurs, he says that it's going to occur along the Euphrates and the Tigris, which is what we, where we know Babylon to be during the period where it used to be. It's a literal city. Now, as we talked about before, there's some difference by Bible teachers here. Ron Rhodes has changed his position since he wrote his earlier books, by the way, and he was under the same impression that I am that the false religious system would emanate out of Rome prior to the Roman Catholic religion. Remember when the rapture occurs, any true believers that occur in in Catholicism will be gone. That anybody who worships when the rapture occurs will be non-believers or false believers. And so this religion is going to be a, what we call a Socratic religion, that is, it's going to be a blend of different religions. Even today there's Chrislam, a kind of a blend of Allah. And uh, and the true God of Israel. We believe Allah is not the same God. Why? It tells us in in First John that if you don't accept the Son, you don't know the Father either. And they don't accept Jesus as being the Messiah. They only believe that He actually died on the cross. They think it was an imposter of some sort. I won't get into all that on Islam, but but. It will be a mixture of religions. A little Hinduism thrown in there, most likely. Shintoism thrown in there. Whoops. Don't want to drop that. And so, uh, there'll be a mixture. Jim, yes, go ahead. The Tom? Pope has already said that we're all worshiping the same God. Well, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> right, exactly. Exactly. And if you're uh, in Hinduism, you can. They got many gods, so you can just work them right in. No problem. (laughs) Yeah, whatever. But you're right. Thanks for bringing that up, Tom, that we're all worshiping. There's many ways to get to the same place, right? They think. Yeah, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No man comes unto the Father except by me. Acts 4.12 says, there's no other name among men men by which you might be saved. uh, Under heaven by which you may be saved. Uh, First Timothy 2.15, I think, says there's a one man, there's one meteor between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Pretty unique, and it makes sense, right? When you sin against an infinite God, it has to take an infinite payment. So when there's sin against an infinite God, it's an infinite payment. You can't work your way to pay for that penalty. For the wages of sin is death. This is in Romans 6.23. But Jesus came along, fully man and fully God, and it tells us in Hebrews that he was the perfect sacrifice. He paid the penalty once and for all, forever. And that's the only way to salvation is through Christ. So it doesn't even make sense that these other ways to God would even work. They can't pay the penalty. You can't do it by works, huh? It says in the Quran that Allah has no Son. Yeah, right. Yeah, Yeah, that's true. They don't believe in the Trinity. It's all is one. That's it. There is no payment for sin. So even thinking about it, the only payment for sin is accepting the sacrifice to Christ for us. And He's taking our place. And, and we call that, we could give it a technical term, propitiation. That God takes away God's wrath and satisfies the penalty. And so it says in in Romans 5, 1, it says, now we're at peace with God. We're no longer under his wrath. Only, Only our relationship with Christ can do that. No other religion. In fact, we don't even call Christianity, it's a relationship with Christ and with our God. I got off on a little rabbit trail there, but if you're listening on this, if someone's listening on the internet, hopefully you know the difference between true faith and a false faith. I totally believe that these other religions are motivated by Satan, and it's a, just a form of deception, and it will occur even worse during the tribulation period, because all true believers will be taken out. And so, as someone said, all hell will break out because that's what's left. So in any case, let's get back here to the next topic. I got a little off on there, but this false religion, let me read the first, the first verses in Revelation 17, one through six that describes this false religion. Then I'll point out something here. By the way, when it uses uh, seas, it says, Seed on many waters. In Revelation 17, 15, it says, And the angel said to me, The waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. So when you heard the word sea, it's talking about those out in the world, the nations, the Gentile nations. All right, so Revelation 17, 1 through 6. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters over the nations, okay? With whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with the wine of those whose sexual immorality into a woman, let me back up. And the wine of those, let me back up here again with whom the kings of earth have committed sexual immorality, and with the wine of whose sexual morality dwellers on earth have become drunk. I skipped down a line, I got confused, sorry. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names, and had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet, and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, Holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of sexual immorality. Now realize that sexual immorality is is talking about spiritual immorality. is having relations with false religions. God always uses that type of metaphor to describe this type of thing going on. And I went down there where actually there's actual sexual immorality with the religion itself, as has happened in a lot of the Old Testament false religions there, false gods. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and averse abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. When I saw her, I marvelled greatly. So this church, whether it be in Babylon, which Ron Rhodes thinks, or in Rome, where I think it may start, is going to martyr anyone that doesn't join the church. It's full of the blood of the saints. So what we see in the first half of the Tribulation, the first half, we see martyrdom, but it's not from the Antichrist so much as it's from the false church. If you go on to read in chapter 17, it tells you that the beast is in in cahoots with the false church. He himself is getting power by associating himself with the false church. It helps him gain control over all the peoples. And so we see this false religious system emanating And he says, from New Babylon, I think it also could be Rome. And if you follow this idea of Rome, then we believe that when he invades Jerusalem and conquers it, he sets up his capital temporarily in Jerusalem, but then at the same time, he's building an economic capital in Babylon, where eventually, we see in chapter 18, he locates his headquarters to control the buying and selling of everything is happening on the whole earth. So I tend to go with the Rome, Jerusalem, and the Babylon locations. He has gone with some of the other prophecy teachers saying, no, it's all in Babylon. And I think one reason he believes that is because remember, the mother child religion started in Babylon. And so maybe it's going back there. We see in in Zechariah, in uh I think this is it chapter five? I forget exactly, but you see the woman in a basket. It stands for evil and the and the, the, the top of the basket is pushed down. And where does it go? Back to Babylon. Evil goes back to Babylon. So so it could be there, it could start out as a religious type of capital, and then move to an economic type of capital. In Revelation 17, is followed by chapter 18, which discusses the economic capital. So, we see at the very end here, then in chapter 15, he discusses that. And he has, on page 184, he has the big issues. He says, Israel lies at the heart and center of Bible prophecy. Israel will one day be attacked by a coalition of Russia and Muslim nations. God will destroy the invaders. The Antichrist ruler of the revived Roman Empire will sign and force a strong covenant with Israel. The Jews will then rebuild their temple in Jerusalem and the false religious system promoted by New Babylon will deceive countless people worldwide. Well, let's move on to chapter 16. I got a few more minutes here in the first hour. So, and again, we're talking about kind of review some of the major events and where they take place at. So, let's go back here to chapter 16. His first point he makes on page 185 is that a Jewish remnant will escape from Jerusalem after the Antichrist desecrates the Jewish temple. And he has here in the first paragraph underneath that on page one eighty five says Jesus warned in Matthew twenty-four, fifteen and sixteen, he says, The day is coming when you will see what Daniel the prophet spoke about, the sacrilegious object that causes desolation standing in the holy place. Reader, pay attention. Then those Judea must flee to the hills. And we believe that's going to happen right in the middle of the tribulation from the Daniel 9.27 prophecy. In fact, uh, as we read again, I won't reread it, but it says that he'll put it into sacrifice and offering after the first half of the week, right in the middle. Daniel 11.31, which he cites here, says, Forces from him shall appear and profane the temple and fortress, and shall take away the regular burnt offering, and they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. So that's in Daniel 11:31. In Daniel 12:11, he says, "And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there will be 1290 days." You go and say, "Hey, what? 1290?" I thought it was 1260 for three and a half years. Well, we talked about that, about what happens in the 75 days between the tribulation and the millennium. It's a period of preparation that goes on. I'm not going to go into that now, but uh, you can go back and take a look at our, our notes on that that we had. Uh, we talked about Isaiah 14, 13, 14. He cites that one about uh, Satan's motivations. Uh, motivating the Antichrist. says, you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. As we talked about, that's when Satan rebelled. But also, that's the attitude of the Antichrist because he's possessed by Satan. And also he cites Ezekiel 28, and we talked about this previously. This is where Satan again rebels, another picture of that. And uh, let me go ahead and read some of that. In Ezekiel 28, I'm going to start at verse 2. It says, Because your heart is proud, and you have said, I am a God, I sit in the sea of the gods, in the heart of the seas. Yet, but you are a man and no God, though you make your heart like the heart of God. You are indeed wiser than Daniel. No secret is hidden from you. By your wisdom and your understanding, you have made wealth for yourself and have gathered gold and silver in your treasures. What's happening here is that we're looking at the king of Tyre. And the way Ezekiel's looking at this, this king of Tyre is motivated by Satan. And so we're seeing a message to Satan through this king, the king. Then it says, By your great wisdom in your trade you have increased your wealth and your heart has become proud in your wealth. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you make your heart like the heart of a God, therefore, behold, I will bring foreigners upon you, the most ruthless of the nations. They should draw their swords against the beauty of your wisdom and splendor. Uh, I think he would have been better off, actually, when you get to verse 12 in Ezekiel 28, it talks more directly about Satan there Let me go back to that. I think he should have cited a little farther in the passage there than he he cites in the book. Let me go back there a second. Let me get my Bible open here. Okay, let me go to that. Okay, so... If you jump to verse 12, in Ezekiel 28, let me read it. It says, You were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God, Every precious stone was your covering. And it goes through the stones there, emerald and carbuncle, and craft and gold were your settings and your engravings. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were an anointed guardian cherub. I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God. In the midst of the stones of fire you walked. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. Yeah, I'll just stop right there. It it goes on. You get the idea. And it talks about the start of Satan. But Satan, again, is possessing the Antichrist. So we see the same attitude in uh, in, in, in the beast as we see in there. Part of this desecration, besides claiming himself to be God, will be that an image is created and put in the holy place. Uh, Let me read that, but let me first, yeah, let me go ahead and look at that. We find that in Romans 13. Let me go to Romans 13 here. He doesn't actually cite that, but I think it's relevant to what we're looking at here. Okay, Romans 13, and uh, I don't mean Romans, I mean Revelation 13. Huh. I, I'm reading this, I'm thinking, this doesn't sound right. Something's wrong here. I'm going, I, by the way, I just want to see if you guys are paying attention. That's what I always told my students when I was teaching, and they catch me, and i do something in error, and I said, I just want to see if you're paying attention to what I was doing. Okay, let's go to Revelation here, where I should be. Revelation 13. Okay, here we go. In verse 14 it says, and by the signs that is allowed to work, talking about the false prophet, in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on the earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast, so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. So, part of this abomination, the desolation that occurs, may be this image that's stuck in the temple that actually could be a hologram. People talk about AI now, artificial intelligence, that ability. But something that is very convincing, people see it, they'll believe that's alive. It's kind of like when um, Antiochus Epiphanes, we talked about him in around 167 BC, he invaded the temple. He was a Seleucid uh, when Alexander uh, the Great died. He had four generals and they divided up. The Ptolemies went to Egypt and, uh, and the Seleucids went to the Syria area and so he invades uh, Jerusalem. And there's a story behind that, I won't get into that, but, but he decides he hates the Jews and he desecrates the temple by pouring the blood of a sow over the altar and setting up an image of Zeus in the temple. It's a type of what's going to happen with the Antichrist. And so we see the same kind of thing happening with the Antichrist. Going in and desecrating the temple. He himself as the desolation, declaring himself to be God, and then setting up an image in the temple itself to be worshipped to represent himself. We're gonna to have to stop there right now. We're out of time for this hour. Let's take about a 10 minute break and then we'll continue on. I think we can finish up chapter 16, maybe hopefully move into chapter 17. We'll see where we go, not promising. We might be able to get there. So let's take a break for 10 minutes and I'll get started again. Can I get a book for Paul Brown? Yeah. If you don't have him. No. I I, him I, him. I have him tell me he has to come three times to be regular. <laughs> Is there enough there that I can take one for him tonight? Yeah. Okay. Just tell me he has to come back two times. <laughs> I tried with you that I Let me let me go ahead and shut this off while so it's not on the tape here.